Hello, you're listening to Astrology Hotline, and this is the forecast for January 2nd through January 8th of 2023. I hope you're all having a happy new year and enjoyed the, the holidays, and I'll apologize for not getting a forecast out for last week. Unfortunately, I got a little swept up in holiday activities and had to take the week off, but I'm going to do my best to get you all caught up so that we can get 2023 off to a good start. I'm also going to be maybe reformatting a little bit how I present the astrology of this week. And instead of just focusing on what's happening each day of the week, I'm going to focus on the key themes of the week, the sort of ongoing astrology taking place in the sky, particularly those which are going to relate to things which will tend to color the week generally, as well as uh, the weeks ahead. And then we'll sort of run through the day by day for each day of the week using uh, the planetary days. And if you're unfamiliar with planetary days, it is essentially a very uh, old, old system which assigns a sort of rulership to each of the seven traditional planets for each day of the week. And these associations are surprisingly ubiquitous throughout different cultures. And the idea is that that the, uh, the events and qualities of a given day of the week will have special relevance to the planet with which it's associated. So on Monday, for example, the moon has sort of special power to deliver on its particular significations. And what's going on with the moon in the sky on that particular Monday will tend to describe the overall energy of that day and will just generally tend to be more relevant. And it can be very, very useful when trying to get a sense of what uh, what the general weather is going to be for that day and how you might best prepare yourself. You know, what sort of uh, activities will tend to be more supported and which will tend to be a little less supported. <clears throat> but first, we'll get started with our main themes for the week. And our main themes this week are Mercury, which is currently retrograde, it, uh, to go retrograde last week on Thursday, Thursday the 29th, which is going to be uh, very relevant to the ongoing Mars retrograde in Gemini, since Mercury rules Gemini and is also very close to stationing direct. It's going to station direct next week on January 12th. Uh, we also have Venus ingressing into Aquarius uh, late Monday of January 22nd or early Tuesday morning of January 23rd, depending on where you are in the world. And then we do have the full moon in Cancer taking place on Friday the 6th. But uh, yeah, let's get things started with probably the most significant thing happening in the sky this week, which would be the ongoing Mercury retrograde in Capricorn. Uh, Mercury stationed retrograde at about 24 degrees Capricorn last week on Thursday the 29th. And as of Monday, January 2nd, it is at about 22 degrees Capricorn or rather precisely 22 degrees Capricorn. Now, this is a pretty interesting retrograde. It uh, stationed in a pretty close conjunction with Venus and Capricorn, and just a couple degrees away from Pluto and Capricorn at uh, 27 degrees, which sort of harkens back to 
uh, Venus's retrograde last year, rather uh, in December of 2021 and on into March 2022, uh, where we also had a, a Mars-Venus-Pluto conjunction. Uh, what was the exact date on that? Yeah, about March, March 3rd of 2022. Now, I'm rather interested to see how this might correlate to events in the ongoing uh, Russo-Ukrainian war. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine began on the 24th of February in the lead up to that conjunction. And in fact, <clears throat> the chart for the beginning of that invasion features that Mars-Venus conjunction applying to Pluto uh, rising. The Capricorn rising chart, and especially um, because this retro bleh, retrograde more heavily involves Mars than is maybe immediately obvious. Uh, as of Monday, January second, Mars is at eight degrees of Gemini, uh, still retrograde, but on the degree in which it will station direct on January twelfth. Now, in my work, I focus quite a bit on an often underrepresented and not entirely well understood what is actually uh, one of the original components of astrological aspect doctrine. And that is uh, a type of aspect which is called Antitia. really want to come up with like a catchier name for it. Maybe people would actually pay attention to it more. Um, granted, I've been hearing a lot more discussion about Antitia, and I think it's going to start getting the recognition that it deserves because uh, these aspects are no joke. I think they should be considered aspects of equal relevance to, you know, trines, sextiles, squares, and all that. They're often referred to as sort of secret conjunctions or oppositions, but I, you know, they're only secret uh, in the sense that you may not be very likely to notice them in the chart offhand unless you're looking for them. But they do seem to show up in in events and in people's lives uh, quite visibly. If you happen to have placements at around 22 or so degrees of cancer, you are also likely to be swept up in this particular transit because of these aspects called Antitia. And while this is by no means uh, going to be a course on Antitia right now, um, try to just briefly explain what they are. And, and that is the, uh, uh, and Antitia basically are, are a relationship that can take place between two points in the Zodiac due to their distance from either the cardinal cusps of Cancer and Capricorn or those of Libra and Aries. The cardinal cusps of the signs correspond with the beginning of the, the seasons. And in the case of cancer, uh, the cusp of cancer marks the point in the year where the sun is above the horizon, in the northern hemisphere at least, uh, for the most time all year. It's kind of the peak of the sun's strength in a sense, or sort of peak light, where the day sort of reigns supreme over the night. While uh, Capricorn... Uh, the cusp of Capricorn marks the beginning of winter, where the sun spends the most time below the horizon, and night sort of uh, reigns supreme over the day. But uh, at any given location <clears throat> in the world, the uh, beginning of summer 
the Cancer cusp and the beginning of winter, the Capricorn cusp are going to mirror each other in terms of the length of the, the day-night cycle. So they have this sort of uh, pro profound correspondence with each other. And if you apply that same logic uh, to, say, 25 degrees of Taurus and uh, about five degrees of Leo, you are going to have a, a similar kind of correspondence because those two points are the same distance from the Cancer cusp uh, as well as the, the Capricorn cusp which means that those two points uh, mirror each other in terms of the, the day-night cycle. Now, you can do a similar thing with the Aries-Libra uh, cusps, where you can take, say, a point uh, at 27 degrees of Aries, and if you were to count uh, 27 degrees backwards from the Aries cusp, you would get to about 7 degrees of Pisces. Those two points would also have a sort of profound correspondence with each other, except that these two points would be considered uh, contra-Antitia to one another, and that they have a slightly different kind of mirroring. Um, when it comes to points that are equidistant from the Cancer or Capricorn cusps, those points are going to be pretty much the same in terms of the length of day and night, such as with our uh, Taurus and uh, 25 degrees Taurus and 5 degrees of Leo. Day and night are going to be the same length. The only difference is that the days are getting longer at 25 degrees of Taurus as the sun approaches the Cancer cusp, uh, while they would be getting shorter at 5 degrees of Leo. While with uh, our Pisces-Aries example, the length of day and night would be flipped. Or say, uh, it's going to vary depending on where you live. But say, you know, nighttime was uh, 13 hours long at five degrees of Pisces. Well, when you get to uh, 25 degrees of Aries, it would be uh, daytime that is 13 hours long instead. So while it's a similar kind of mirroring, they're sort of opposite. And uh, a lot of people describe Antitia and Contra Antitia um, with uh, contra, uh, Antitia being uh, a lot like a, a conjunction. And uh, you'll find it in a lot of ancient astrological texts that they would consider those two points to be basically in a conjunction. Uh, so Mars would be uh, at the moment at eight degrees of Gemini in a antitial conjunction with anything at 22 degrees of Cancer. Now, it's, it's very interesting uh, when you want to consider, you know, to what degree can you consider them, uh, those points literally in a conjunction when they're, you know, they're in different, different signs, right? But it gets interesting to consider what uh, a planet in Cancer and a planet in Gemini would look like uh, in a conjunction together. You would sort of fold the zodiac and sort of connect the two via wormhole. Uh, it would um, be a kind of interesting conjunction. Um, however, when it comes to the Contra and Tisha, those were considered to be in a sort of quasi-opposition. Now, there's a lot of different ideas about uh, what these relationships are exactly. And for the most part, I treat them at minimum like a, a point in which two planets are an angle that are either antitia or contra antitia to each other as uh, interacting in a significant way that is worth paying attention to. So I would, I would just start by uh, combining the symbols because they're uh, they're at least talking to each other. So 
as of Monday, we have uh, Mercury at 22 degrees of Capricorn and Gemini at eight degrees of Gem Mars at eight degrees of Gemini. And uh, that puts them in a, an exact, more or less contra and Tischl relationship with each other. There's debate about what kind of orbs to use. Most tend to use much smaller orbs than the, uh, you would with traditional Ptolemaic aspects. Uh, I tend to go with about an, a degree and a half, maybe two degrees on either side of the planet to be uh, definitely worth paying attention to and interpreting. But I'll also consider just the sign as at least having uh, more of a line of communication with its uh, antitial or contra-antitial counterpart than it would otherwise. So in the case with Gemini and Capricorn, which are signs that are in conjunct from each other, they don't have a traditional relationship. According to Antitia, they do have a sort of line to each other, a way of communicating or interacting because they have this, this correspondence, um, this kind of mirroring of the day-night cycle. Now, that was a much longer uh, explanation of Antitia than I had planned, but suffice it to say, uh, these are definitely worth paying attention to, uh, especially when the planets in question already have a strong relationship with the sign that their antitial counterparts are, are occupying. In this case, uh, with Mercury and Gemini, Mars is already looking to Mercury for uh, sort of instructions on how to how to operate there, and especially at a, a pivotal point in Mars's cycle where it's preparing to station retrograde or uh, station direct when it's preparing to move forward again. Uh, Mars wants to know <laughs> what what Mercury has to say and what it's doing. And uh, likewise, I mean, Mars doesn't rule Capricorn, uh, but it certainly has a, a strong relationship. It's exalted in Capricorn and may have a lot to say uh, to Mercury or, you know, a lot of uh, perhaps advice to offer, especially as Mercury is uh, stopping to sort of double back and reconsider things or... Um, reconsider some things that were missed previously. So this has a, um, definitely, I would think, uh, a potential for being quite productive. However, I mean, with all things Mars-related, uh, you know, productive does not mean easy or necessarily fun. It's uh, definitely a moment to reconsider or renegotiate uh, how you want to move forward in the Capricorn or, or Gemini uh, areas of our life. Perhaps how... Um, reconsidering how we might want to engage in conflict uh, more productively. I should note that um, we're really still at a point in, in both Mars and Mercury's cycles uh, where there's still quite a bit of confusion and ambivalence as to how to move forward or how to tackle certain problems. Now is not necessarily the moment where you want to take action yet. This is more of a moment where a uh, issue or problem or conflict may become visible, very uh, clear, but we're maybe still figuring out, you know, how to move forward, right? Um, the solutions may not quite be within reach yet. So I, I would say it's important uh, during this time to get comfortable or at least accept, you know, it may not be comfortable, um, that, you know, you may still need to, to tweak some things under the hood before starting the engine again. While it may be useful to uh, engage in, in dialogues about things, uh, 
I wouldn't necessarily expect um, decisive resolutions to occur just yet, which is why I want to take a little closer look at what Mercury is doing to get a sense of how this process might unfold and, uh, you know, exactly symbolically, like what is what is happening to Mercury right now? I mean, we get about three Mercury retrogrades every year. So this is a pretty typical thing. But to maybe understand uh, how the process works, we need to look at what this cycle, what happens exactly to Mercury during the cycle. And that means we got to talk about the uh, cycle of combustion that any planet goes through when it is uh, sharing space with the sun, while uh, Mercury and Venus and the moon will tend to go faster than the sun, uh, Mercury and Venus will, you know, they hit that retrograde and then back they go and they got to dive uh, under the sun, under the sun's beams, out of visibility. Uh, similarly with the moon, uh, whenever we have a new moon cycle, there's a period of time where we can't see the moon because it is either being uh, obfuscated by the sun due to occupying the same uh, slice of sky as the sun, or it's just a little too close to really be reflecting light back to us. But all the planets at different points in their cycle get overtaken by the sun, and they go through this process of combustion. And it's typically uh, when a planet gets to within about 15 degrees of the sun that it sinks into uh, invisibility, into a state that we call under the beams of the sun. So right now, for example, with Mercury at 22 degrees of Capricorn and the sun at 11 degrees, uh, Mercury is about 11 degrees away from the sun, which means that we can't see Mercury anymore. It is under the sun's beams, and it is uh, approaching the exact conjunction with the sun. They're sort of mutually approaching each other. And uh, as we all know, the sun um, is a big fucking fiery ball. You know, it's hot. <laughs> and uh, while we live here on Earth in a very comfortable and really ideal um, relationship and distance uh, from the sun, you know, neither too close or too far away. Uh, when you start getting close, it starts getting too hot and it naturally gets hotter and hotter the closer to the sun you get. So symbolically what happens uh, to the planet that is uh, falling kind of under the, the beams of the sun is that it is getting sort of burnt up and broken down by the sun and maybe absorbed by it. And, you know, when it's uh, at about the distance that Mercury is with the sun now, you know, it's not uh, totally fried and cooked yet, but it's getting hot and, and a bit sweaty and maybe even starting to get a bit of a a tan or maybe a little bit of a sunburn, you know. Um, it, it's not comfortable necessarily. And it doesn't really get to do uh, what it wants so much anymore. Mercury doesn't get to do Mercury according to its own will. It's it's in uh, the sun's domain. And while, you know, Mercury does not cease to be, it, we are all still talking and uh, the internet still works. Cars still drive. And, you know, in the case of a natal chart, uh, the uh, proximity of your particular mercury to the sun is not going to um, determine your, your capacity to speak and talk and think, but it will 
determine Mercury's capacity to do things uh, on behalf of the signs that Mercury is responsible for. And, you know, those areas of uh, Gemini and Virgo will tend to suffer for it as uh, the Mercury qualities are all being absorbed by the sun and for the sun's purposes. So useful for the sun, not so much for Mercury, at least not immediately uh, or directly, because this uh, process of combustion is a sort of purification of the planet. I like to think of it a bit as um, sort of cleansing. Um, And often, you know, when people are trying to lose weight or do a detox or something, they'll go to a sauna, which, you know, is kind of hot and sticky and uncomfortable, but it gets you to sweat and it gets you to helps you eliminate impurities as well as uh, excess water. And often with saunas, you know, you'll you'll stay in there as long as you can kind of stand to stay in there. Uh, and then you you get out, and uh, after you leave the sauna, you know you get a, a certain amount of relief, but you're still kind of hot and sweaty and gross. Uh, you need to shower and recover a little bit, uh, but then you get the health benefits of using the the sauna, um, or you could consider it being kind of uh, like a sort of withdrawal from the outside world, uh, venturing into a desert in order to turn your attention inward, in order to achieve insights uh, or enlightenment on a particular topic before returning to the regular world after achieving that insight and integrating it. A lot of uh, initiation rituals will involve sort of like tests, tests of of strength or, you know, deprivations of a certain kind. If you join the military, you have to go to a training camp for a certain period of time where you are quite literally cut off from the rest of the world and subjected to rigorous training and and deprivations to uh, sort of reshape and mold your being into something else, into a, a soldier in that case. So, you know, in this case with Mercury diving under the beams, it's going to get hotter and hotter in a sense, uh, getting more of its impurities sort of burnt off and uh, is also going to be less and less capable of attending to its responsibilities in the outside world, in Gemini and in Virgo, until it reaches the exact conjunction with the sun, which is known as a Kazemi moment for the planet. It's kind of like the, the eye of a storm, in a sense. It's a sort of point of calm maybe a relief where it has sort of con- uh, completed the initial phase of its purification and it's maybe been um, distilled to something uh, more pure. And this is actually a <clears throat> really excellent metaphor that I learned from Austin Kopic. Uh, and it's the idea that a planet going under the beams is very much like a plant or some other sort of material that is being used for some sort of alchemical purpose. You know, the um, the plant is uh, essentially being broken down, mashed up and crushed into a little mortar so that it, the essence of the plant can be extracted into its kind of pure properties. So, you know, the essence of the plant is being separated from the body 
in, in order to be put to use for a, a very specific purpose. And while, uh, you know, the process uh, leading up to that is, is not particularly enjoyable, <clears throat> getting, you know, mashed up and kind of devoured by the sun, <laughs> not super fun. Uh, but what what's left is something that's more pure. You know, more negatively, you could think of it as like uh, the sun devouring mercury and wearing its skin around as <laughs> like a little mercury suit. <laughs> um, but probably more appropriately, it's like being sent to a, a training camp where the parts of you that are not conducive to the role you're trying to take on are going to get sort of wrought out, uh, pounded out the way you might work metal. I kind of continuously heating it, pounding it, heating it, and pounding it until you get a pure, specialized shape. You know, you get the crispy, strong, yet flexible blade of a katana. So for our purposes, uh, what this might look like is um, while Mercury is going through this process, uh, Mars is sort of being left to fend for itself. You know, there's this... Uh, Contra and Tisha here on Monday, which could be like a arriving at the training camp and getting to call your family, wish them well, send them some instructions for what to do while you're gone. But as we move further into the week, uh, Mercury is less and less available to Mars uh, to offer any additional information or um, updates, we'll say, as it continues to close the sun until it achieves that Kazemi moment around Saturday night. And usually uh, a Kazemi is considered to be anywhere from a, a degree of an exact conjunction, from one degree, or by some, uh, it has to be within 17 minutes. I think for most purposes, uh, the one degree orb is, is appropriate, which will occur uh, in the Eastern time zone uh, at around 1030-ish. 2 at 11 o'clock p.m. on a Friday night. And it will last until about 5 or 6 p.m. Saturday. So if you can find um, a moment during that period to sit down and consider some of the issues that have come up for you related to the Mercury retrograde, perhaps related to the Capricorn area of your life or the Gemini area of your life, or maybe the Virgo area of your life, um, that would be a moment where you may find insight onto uh, those issues to be much more re readily available. It's an opportunity to find clarity or come to terms with <clears throat> the sort of roots and origins of uh, what may have been a source of confusion or why a certain area of life has changed direction and maybe some ideas on, on how to approach things in the future. However, um, the forward movement doesn't occur yet. Just as uh, often, you know, we may gain insight on a problem. If you've ever spent any time in therapy, you know, it's uh, usually a, a moment where you gain understanding of the roots and causes of an issue. Um, but there's usually a sort of time gap between that and when you're able to maybe implement a change or understand uh, how to apply that lesson in practical day-to-day -day life. It's usually when uh, you encounter 
a real life situation that is relevant to that particular issue um, in your day-to-day life that you either recognize the opportunity to, to approach it differently or find that you naturally uh, approach it differently due to you having taken time to integrate that new insight. In this case, Mercury stationing direct, just still a ways off, but it will station uh, on January 17th, where it will start moving forward uh, with full visibility, having just emerged from under the beams of the sun. So as for what to expect for this week, uh, expect uh, issues related to Mercury um, or chaos to reign supreme for a little bit. There may even be uh, verbal arguments for some on top of the usual Mercury retrograde issues, which, you know, include but are not limited to miscommunications, delays in correspondence, transportation issues, mechanical, electrical types of issues, and so on. Uh, I had a situation actually (laughs) on the day of Mercury Station at my day job uh, as a massage therapist where three clients came in all with the same first name at the same time, uh, each seeing different therapists and all three <laughs> therapists, uh, including myself, grabbed the wrong, uh, I can't remember the name, but something like Amanda, one of those those kinds of names. Um, we all grab, grabbed the wrong Amanda and confusion and chaos uh, ensued thereafter. Uh, it wasn't, you know, didn't end up being that big of a deal, but those are just the sorts of things that you might expect <laughs> during a Mercury retrograde. So anyway, next we will talk about uh, Venus ingressing into Aquarius. And that will occur uh, very late Monday night on the Eastern time zone, uh, roughly nine o'clock PM, perhaps earlier, depending on where you live or later. But that shift occurs kind of an interesting moment where uh, the moon will be at the very end of Taurus in a tight trine with Venus, and they'll sort of walk together over the border, maintaining that trine into Aquarius and uh, Gemini for the moon, which uh, is kind of nice for uh, the moon, at least, where it will at least get um, a brief moment where it is receiving aspects from both benefics, from both Venus and Jupiter. And very briefly, we'll experience a brief enclosure sort of sandwich between aspects from Venus and Jupiter. This will only last for a couple hours or so, but if you want to try to make use of it, it'll be in play roughly from about 10 p.m. Monday night to about 12.30 or so, uh, Tuesday morning on January the 3rd. I wouldn't um, try to make any talismans out of it necessarily. Uh, The moon is still very close to Mars, which, you know, is not a lot of fun. But it'll at least be a uh, a nice cozy moment, perhaps an opportunity to to engage in some self care or just get a good night's sleep, sort of rest up uh, for the shift that occurs on Tuesday uh, on all Tuesdays, uh, which are the day of Mars. That's why it's always a good idea to get a good night's sleep Monday night. But more generally, <clears throat> with Venus moving into Aquarius, we get. Uh, Venus moving from one Saturn-ruled sign to another. So we still have a fundamentally Saturnian-flavored Venus, which means that Venus is not especially 
warm and cuddly. It's a little removed, a little detached, a little impersonal, and still a little heavy and perhaps a bit heavier in the sense that Venus is now co-present with Saturn in Aquarius. But we are leaving, in a sense, the, the heavier grounded side of Saturn that exists in Capricorn. <clears throat> Venus is essentially stepping outside of the walls. And it's a bit of a mixed transition for Venus. Uh, Venus has a, a kind of dignity in Capricorn called triplicity dignity, which is a fairly strong kind of dignity. Uh, Venus tends to know what to do with Earth, with physical, tangible, seeable, touchable things. And in Capricorn, those things are often older or the kinds of things that come as the result of hard, grueling labors, uh, such as gardening, maybe. Or I guess I like to think of Venus and Capricorn as uh, lending a sort of beautifying touch to the inside of like a military fortress or uh, a rather formal corporate environment where Venus might organize recreational activities, uh, sort of boost morale within those often confining structures. Uh, when Venus gets into Aquarius, she kind of loses that triplicity dignity. And while I don't consider uh, Venus to be ill-equipped in, in air signs, I mean, she has rule Libra, after all. Aquarius um, will support Venus in a lot of the sort of light more removed um, types of relationships. I like to think of Venus and Aquarius as sort of equally available to everyone, but might perhaps struggle to be particularly intimate with any one individual, like warm and friendly and, and lively uh, in sort of casual encounters, but not um, significantly more so um, in deeper interpersonal relationships. To sort of smooth that transition, uh, Venus has... In the Chaldean order of uh, decanic rulership, Venus rules the first decan of Aquarius. So Venus has a sort of special power in the first decan of Aquarius. And what's the first decan of Aquarius about? Well, it's about, um, for lack of a, a milder term coming to mind, exile. It's about um, stepping outside of normal conventional society and entering the, the periphery either voluntarily or involuntarily. And while there's a certain uh, freedom that comes from uh, stepping outside of established conventional structures, there can be a feeling of exclusion or an experience of exclusion, loneliness. And sometimes uh, it can be hard to find or carve out a, a new place to find safety or, or community. <clears throat> this is where you kind of have to go and search for that. Uh, Venus, however, is quite adept at finding, you know, those of like mind that exist on, on the periphery of society, as well as those little uh, quirky treasures uh, that often go overlooked in those places that are, are not uh, well trotted by the masses. In fact, that's often where a lot of uh, treasure and abundance exists is you know, those places where people haven't um, come and gobbled them all up yet. Let's think of Venus and Aquarius generally, but um, especially in this decan as being, 
you know, the person that found the uh, that cool bar or that cool fashion trend uh, before everybody else thought it was cool, you know, before everybody else ruined it by <laughs> thinking it was cool. So this is kind of Venus um, being like ahead of the curb a little bit. And maybe the particular uh, allure or glamour of this Venus is derived from her ability to make uh, what other people thought wasn't cool, cool, you know, <laughs> like um, failing to think of a specific example. But there are those people that, uh, you know, there'll be something that will just be generally considered, you know, super lame, like wearing fanny packs. Uh, but then because that one person started wearing fanny packs, oh, it became cool again, you know. And that's probably also the person that will stop wearing the fanny packs once everybody else starts wearing them. Be sort of interesting to pay attention to any new trends uh, in fashion or popular culture that come about over the next week or so, a couple of weeks with Venus in <clears throat> the first decade of Aquarius. Be interested to see if something that maybe was cool 30 years ago suddenly becomes cool again. But I would say that uh, with Venus, especially with the initial ingress, um, being in a pretty tight sextile with Jupiter for the next several days, um, it's a rather nice little aspect. I, I would think that it would support trying something uh, new and unconventional, yeah. Conven unconventional, new and unconventional, uh, perhaps engaging in a hobby that, you know, maybe you've always kind of wanted to try, but we're reluctant to because maybe it's kind of nerdy uh, or kind of weird and maybe been worried about what people would say. Uh, you know, Jupiter and Aries will certainly reward those endeavors and activities which emanate from a, a very personal sense of will or authority, while Venus will aid in uh, revealing the, the sort of treats that exist within those spaces. Uh it's making me think of um, many years ago <clears throat> where uh, there was a friend of my mother's who's, um, you know, several decades older than me, uh, who I'd rather liked because, you know, we both enjoyed military history. And he invited me to come with him to a war gamers convention, which internally I had a sort of dual reaction to. Uh, I was both very excited by the idea of uh, playing with, with army men, essentially uh, playing elaborate version of army men with other human beings, um, but also a sort of hesitation because of how uh, unbelievably nerdy of an activity that is. But, you know, at the time I was giving less and less of a shit about that sort of thing. So I decided to go and it was extremely fun while I wasn't... Um, donning chain mail or wearing a like an orc costume like some of those in attendance uh it was extremely enjoyable and it was very enjoyable to see um people who i know uh, a lot of people might make fun of just really really enjoying themselves and enjoying the camaraderie of those of like mind those who like the exact same nerdy thing that they like so if you have something like that uh i think this is a good week for you to Give it a shot. Uh, not that I think that you shouldn't engage in your quirky, nerdy um, passions uh, outside of this week. If you've been feeling hesitant, I think Venus and Jupiter will be there to give you a little boost.
and maybe uh, ensure that you'll have a positive experience. Mm -hmm. And then as the week goes on, Venus is actually going to be applying to a trine with Mars, which can get, um, you know, that can be a little saucy. Venus-Mars combinations, uh, particularly soft aspects, you know, are, are good for spicing up relationships um, or drawing in spicy and exciting relationships. Let's say most, pretty much all Venus-Mars contacts will create that. Um, however, the soft aspects will usually have just enough danger, maybe, or uh, enough of an edge to keep it, make it exciting without it being necessarily explicitly actually dangerous. Uh, so a friend of mine recently put it, the, the Venus-Mars trine, it's a little bit like uh, the motorcycle boyfriend, you know, while maybe a square might be the alluring and mysterious, though equally likely to get you shot, a uh, drug cartel member, you know, um, you know, not necessarily that extreme, but, you know, I like it. I don't care what anybody else says. And I think uh, Venus is in a good position to sort of support and smooth out Mars as Mars prepares to station direct again, which can be kind of a scary moment in some circumstances as that sort of confused, maybe a little suppressed martial energy is about to find a direction and start moving toward it. Uh, it's sort of a relentless and initially slow, but eventually uh, quite intense and, and fast pace. Um, it's making me think of, uh, you know, if you're being attacked by a bear and, you know, you manage to pepper spray the bear uh, and kind of blind it and confuse it. And that gives you some time to get away. But once uh, that bear recovers, it is not is not only no longer incapacitated, it's now really fucking pissed off. <laughs> and when it gets going again, uh, you might want to make sure you're you're clear or have something uh, a little more potent than pepper spray. So I uh, like that Venus is there to perhaps soften Mars a bit so that he's not quite so uh, angry and eager to bathe in the blood of his enemies uh, once he gets moving forward again. However, uh, we'll probably talk about this more next week. Once Venus begins to separate from that trine with Mars, she starts applying to Saturn and ends up in a position which some might call uh, a malefic enclosure or a besiegement by malefics. This is a situation where a planet is in between aspects from Mars or Saturn without an intervening ray uh, from an aspect of uh, another planet. Now, this is probably more specifically applied to planets that are in between hard aspects with Mars and Saturn, such as the one that we had <clears throat> earlier in uh, 2022 when Mars and Saturn were in Aquarius and Venus was... Uh, the boiling hot filling inside of a hot pocket um, in between the two. This I would not uh, characterize as nearly as dire as uh, I would consider it if Mars were, say, in, in Taurus and Venus was in between a square with Mars and a conjunction with Saturn. There is still a sense of there being uh, 
sort of rough customers on either side. However, at least one, in this case, Mars, is a little more amenable to negotiation or you know, at least accept your surrender under more favorable terms. But it may be worth paying attention to the Venusian topics in the world and in your life and keep an eye out for situations which might resemble um, the idea of like a nice, sweet Venus being surrounded by not so friendly characters. You know, if you're going to go out, uh, if you're going to try like going to the, the roadhouse in the middle of nowhere that you've driven by every now and then and look kind of interesting, I would do it, uh, you know, maybe this week while Venus is still on the outside of that enclosure, if you will. Might be less uh, likely to find yourself in a unpleasant scenario. However, it, it might be something to be aware of uh, as we move into next week. But for now, I think Venus is still uh, capable of delivering good times. Now let's move on to the full moon in Cancer, which will be taking uh, taking place Friday uh, in the Eastern time zone around 6.30 p.m. or so, which for uh, at least the Eastern half of North America, most of it anyway, will allow us to potentially see this one above the horizon. It's when it goes exact, but... Uh, Really, all of Friday night, we'll have a nice, uh, juicy, plump Cancer moon. And perhaps especially nice about this Cancer moon is that it's really um, kind of out of sight of both Mars and Saturn. Now, you may want to consider that uh, Mars can see or at least has substantial impact on Cancer uh, around 22 degrees, which is not terribly close to this full moon at around 16 degrees, but depending on, you know, the kind of orbs you might use for uh, Antitia, which some um, astrologers may see as being a bit wider, Mars may still be able to, to have a look, have a little gander at the moon, uh, particularly when the moon starts to separate. And uh, around Saturday morning, the moon will have that, uh, that little Antitia conjunction with Mars. And these are usually pretty quick. They come and go. And I don't tend to um, think about them much when it comes to short transits like that. But it may be worth considering if you're planning any um, big rituals around this full moon. You know, it is quite a uh, rich, succulent fruit <laughs> that, that we might get from a big, juicy full moon in Cancer like that. But uh, it may or may not be susceptible to... Uh, a worm or two in the hours following not to rain on anyone's full moon plans, but always good to know. And it's a little interesting too, that uh, this full moon occurs just before Mercury enters that sort of Cassini, <clears throat> Cassini um, orb of one degree with the sun. And perhaps in some parts of the world, it may actually be a little more exact uh, or occurring while within that Cassini range which may actually make the uh, Antitia that the moon makes with Mars later on a little more constructive in, in the sense um, maybe translating the light of that Kazemi to Mars via the Antitia, though, you know, it might be um, up for debate whether or not you can use uh, or apply the idea of translation of light via Antitia. Uh, I don't see why you wouldn't because <laughs> um, they, they certainly work. And uh, 
often a mirror is just as effective a means of casting light on something as a flashlight would be if you were to uh, point the flashlight directly at it. In fact, a mirror might be very useful if you need to get light around a corner, but your light source is emanating from somewhere that uh, the other side of that corner can't um, see. So, you know, the moon may be able to act as a very rich vessel uh, for any insights that come from that Mercury Kazemi and sort of send the message to Mars so that Mars can at least start preparing for its station uh, in a a little less than a week from the 6th. A thing to be, to remember about the moon is that it it makes things real, makes things physical. So, you know, we may encounter uh, these insights suggested by the Kazemi um, in a more physical embodied way, or they may even be material things that appear outside of us. You know, while it may not be like the lush, rich and creamy full moon uh, in Cancer that we might get, you know, if it was like trying Jupiter and Pisces or something. Um, I almost like this better where it's uh, maybe presenting as a ripe fruit, which may yield uh, medicine to be applied to specific issues in our life, our lives. You know, it's also uh, rather close to a sextile with Uranus uh, up in Taurus, which may um, make this moon a little less smooth and creamy and more maybe invigorating or surprising or unpredictable. You know, it's not necessarily that uh, quiet or still stillness of the water that um, allows us to see to the bottom, you know, that, that the water may have ripples which could uh, distort the clarity that we're looking for. But also, you know, the it's just occurring to me, I, I kind of missed the Mercury Kazemi being um, trying Uranus as well. So it sort of adds a level of invention and sort of uh, revitalization, perhaps. Certainly potentially conducive to uh, providing a, a unique or before unconsidered angle on perhaps an old problem which the moon may be able to provide uh, the medicine we need to solve it. So, you know, I'm going to slightly walk back my trepidation about this full moon. (laughs) I think it's actually uh, a pretty nice one, a pretty um, good one to do some sort of healing or cleansing ritual, perhaps, or like have a, a nurturing and constructive conversation about a sensitive matter, bringing perhaps some, um, Emotional intelligence and empathy to help resolve a a conflict of some kind. But uh, with that, we should run through the week by week. This episode has already gone on way longer than planned, but, uh, you know, want to try a different approach. And if you like this approach, you know, let me know. Shoot me an email. Or if you didn't like it, if you felt like it was too long-winded, let me know as well. Feedback is always appreciated. At the end of the day, I'm here to serve you, the listener. So we'll start off Monday, uh, Monday, the day of the moon, the moon in Taurus, which is kind of interesting. I mean, we've got a nice exalted moon, right? We all like the moon in Taurus. Ordinarily would make for a more pleasant Monday experience, which, you know, very appropriately, uh, most people on Mondays uh, really aren't all too thrilled about going back to work, as you would expect from uh, the, the moon in general. <laughs> so get that uh, manic Monday quality, which... Uh, you know, the moon is, is always good for that 
ever-shifting, changing quality of mood that can sometimes be conducive to mania. However, Taurus, uh, uh, the moon is exalted in Taurus because it, it really stabilizes the moon most of the time. Uh, unfortunately, we do get square with Saturn earlier in the day. So, you know, we may feel the uh, oppressiveness of, of returning to the work week grind uh, a little more keenly early in the day, more so in the morning. <clears throat> but we may uh, be simultaneously encountering some of the qualities and experiences that we discussed before uh, as the, uh, regarding Mercury retrogrades uh, as the moon will simultaneously make a trine with Mercury. That is also uh, in that contradiction with Mars. That's an interesting one. Uh, you know, that does seem like a, a moment where particularly early in the morning could encounter some destabilizing hiccups uh, in our normal routine. Perhaps when we're already not super in the mood for it, you know, we may want to just kind of, uh, at least for those uh, with a normal five-day-a-week um, schedules, may just want to show up and start getting um, back into the normal rhythm. Maybe you want to autopilot a little bit while you get into it, but there may be, you know, those kinds of hiccups or sort of unplanned for issues, which, you know, actually demand that we pay attention and... <laughs> put effort into it. It may be a no autopilot Monday morning for a lot of us, unfortunately, which, you know, may begin to smooth out as the day progresses. As the moon starts applying to Venus and they prepare to escort each other across the respective borders of Capricorn and Taurus into Aquarius and Gemini. Now, not to make it uh, more uh, confusing or complicated than the planetary uh, day scheme might be for some of us, um, especially if you're new to it, you may also want to consider that many astrologers, uh, myself included, also apply a differentiation between uh, planetary days and planetary nights. And I won't uh, explain the <laughs> the whole logic behind the scheme here, or at least today. Uh, it's actually a, a very elegant and logical um, system by which it takes place. But when the sun goes down, we shift from the day of the moon into the night of Venus. So the emphasis uh, shifts over to Venus. While generally we'll focus more on the planetary day and maybe its relevance to diurnal activities for the day uh, might be good to consider what's going on with Venus uh, once the sun goes down. And we do get that shift into Aquarius Monday night. Which, you know, looking at it again right now, looks a little more mentally stimulating than I may have described it originally. <laughs> and perhaps uh, more stimulating than might be conducive to getting an early night's sleep. While that uh, little moon Venus benefic enclosure that the moon briefly experiences Monday night certainly uh, pleasant and cozy. It might look like um, getting a little more into the book you read to wind down for the night than expected and, and maybe staying up a little later or getting into a, a conversation that's a little too interesting and maybe uh, keeps you up a little later than you want. So if you want to have a, a real early night's rest, I might suggest going to bed 
before Venus and the moon ingress into air signs, which would mean uh, it may not be realistic for, for a lot of people, um, but in Eastern time zone would be uh, like before 9 p.m., <laughs> which uh, if you're capable of going to bed that early, more power to you, but something to bear in mind. Maybe forego uh, stimulating mental activity before bed if, if you're really trying to get to bed early. And then uh, Tuesday, we get the day of Mars. So Mars will be uh, coloring our experience a little bit on Tuesday. And this Mars is going to be receiving, you know, that contraintitia from Mercury, as well as a, a conjunction with the moon, which while I was, uh, what I said about the opportunities for constructive insights still applies you know there could be um a bit of confusion or frustration um perhaps frustrated communication or uh potential for arguments maybe saying something that uh could hurt someone's feelings if we're not careful this could be a little emotionally charged um I imagine a lot of us might be feeling just kind of like annoyingly tired maybe kind of agitated you know the moon will kind of tend to moonify Mars and Mars will tend to Marsify the moon. <laughs> so it's, you know, Mars getting a little tired and groggy and maybe at the whim of however we're feeling at any moment while the moon's going to get a little more agitated. Uh, and this is still, uh, this is Mars preparing to station and it's still barely kind of, it's still kind of going backwards. It's still moving, but it's, it's almost stationary at this point. It's not going anywhere fast right now. So Mars is already kind of sluggish and there is a bit of a buildup of tension that's happening right now. So especially if you have points, uh, important points on eight degrees of mutable signs, especially Gemini, or around 22-ish degrees of Capricorn or other cardinal signs, probably especially Capricorn um, because of the, the Mars contraintitia, uh, would anticipate a little bit of tension sort of restless lethargy perhaps maybe a frustration with the the pace at which things are moving and maybe a lot of what you're trying to get done that day um you may just move at a really frustratingly slow pace so i would maybe try to set your expectations around you know not seeing huge results today that doesn't mean that you can't be productive and and do things that will contribute to a future um, results, but you may feel a little frustrated at the pace. So you may want to lean into, especially uh, during the hours of, of Venus or Jupiter, into maybe doing some activities that will lift your spirits a little bit, try to bring in a little bit of fun into the day. If you want to look at, uh, if you want to know when the planetary hours are going to be changing, uh, when, you know, when the hour of Venus is, et cetera, there are tons of apps available. Well, I haven't found a really good one that gives you the planetary nights as well. You can usually, um, uh, I use one called uh, Planetaro. And if you want to know the planetary night, just, uh, it'll tell you when sundown is and when sunrise is. And the planetary night is going to just be the first hour after sunset. And it is the same every week. So you can't eventually memorize them. But if you're using that app, Planetaro, that is one way to know what planetary night it is after sundown. 
and then Wednesday, uh, and then <clears throat> probably worth noting that Friday, uh, sorry, Tuesday night switches into the hour of Saturn, maybe just to make uh, Tuesday the most unpleasant day of the week. But come sundown, Saturn is extra significant. And, you know, we have Saturn in Aquarius, uh, as we have had for the past two years or so. So um, Saturn is uh, 22 degrees of Aquarius, just sort of doing what Saturn does. It's not um, it's not out of the mix, but it's it's not heavily involved with any other planets right now. So it's just kind of Saturn doing its thing. So if you feel a little heavy, feel a little depressed or just exhausted, um, Tuesday night, that's why. But if you're kind of a Saturn-y person with like a constructive, useful, easy Saturn, uh, or at least as easy as Saturn can be, you know, maybe productive. Uh, if you enjoy Saturnian consciousness, or at least uh, are comfortable there, you, you may be able to get some shit done Tuesday night. Otherwise, you know, just go to bed do some meditation or something <laughs> Saturn will uh, let you rest as long as you've you've gotten your work done and then Wednesday we get the day of Mercury and we've already talked about what Mercury is doing quite extensively so just expect Wednesday to um, really emphasize the themes of what's going on with Mercury this week and uh, Wednesday it'll be at about 20 degrees of Capricorn the Sun at about 13. Uh, moving into 14, um, so it's starting to get close. By the end of the day, Mercury will be about six or so degrees from the sun, which is kind of just outside the realm of like full combustion. But Mercury is getting pretty burnt uh, at this point. So expect uh, a lot of Mercury retrograde stuff and, you know, maybe some uh, disorganization and, you know, chaos. Just expect chaos to reign supreme. Fortunately, in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, the days are pretty short this time of year so by sundown we switch into uh, sun in capricorn mode and the sun will be uh, uh pretty close to a trine with uranus so this it could be a little more energizing than you might expect from just kind of general sun in capricorn and it may be worth noting that uh well we won't go too into it at the moment um the sun is in the second decan of Capricorn and the second decan of Capricorn is all about ambition in a sense while Capricorn tends to have a bit of that flavor uh, the second decan is probably the more wanting to climb the corporate ladder than the other two or maybe achievement oriented but it does tend to uh, be a little prone to hubris or setting the the bar a little too high shooting for things that cannot be realistically be achieved or cannot be achieved in this lifetime in a sense like it's a little like taken on more than than one could could possibly chew so you know bear that in mind wednesday night if you maybe fallen behind um on work during uh the day of mercury or burnt up retrograde mercury and you feel like you need to catch up uh you know you might be able to put your your nose to the grindstone a little bit Wednesday night, but just don't bite off more than you can chew and <laughs> keep yourself up all night, you know? Um, that could be a bit of a risk. Unless, you know, that's what you have to do. I, I certainly find myself in that position often. So maybe uh, give yourself a hard stop somewhere. And then Thursday, we get the day of Jupiter. 
Dave, Jupiter is usually pretty nice, uh, depending on um, Jupiter. And Jupiter's actually pretty all right right now, um, maybe despite being ruled by um, a uh, simmering, edgy Mars uh, that is still waiting to station direct, which may, you know, make Jupiter a little more prone to sort of false starts or, or getting, um, could get a little ahead of ourselves on Thursday, perhaps. But Jupiter also um, has quite a bit of of dignity uh, in this first chunk of Aries. Like it, it can kind of cobble together its own supplies in a sense. Uh, while Mars is still going to be giving direction to Aries, um, Jupiter uh, is in its own triplicity in all fire signs. So it has a, a kind of citizenship there. Um, and it's also in its own bound, at least in the uh, Egyptian bounds or terms in the, that first seven degrees of, of Aries. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head if the same is true for the Chaldean and um, Ptolemy's bounds. But if you're using the uh, the medieval point system, Jupiter basically has uh, enough points to be in one of its own signs in a sense, which I'm, you know, not a big user of the, the point system, but Jupiter... Uh, may have enough of its own resources to do its own thing. So I guess uh, maybe try to keep um, the simmering kind of crockpot of, of Mars energy uh, out of your grand visions that you may be trying to enact on Thursday, um, or maybe try to notice uh, how that sort of martial energy might influence us towards unrealistic uh, expectations, what we think uh, we can or cannot accomplish. But otherwise, I would say that uh, while Venus is starting to separate from that sextile, you know, what I was saying before about uh, engaging in uh, quirky offbeat hobbies or activities would still uh, apply Thursday. You know, stepping outside of your known experience uh, may have ripe rewards for you. Thursday also uh, transitions into the night of the moon, which by Thursday night, it'll be the uh, we'll have the moon in Cancer where it will be, you know, solidly out of range of all the planets which might have unpleasant or non-lunar uh, shit for it to do. <laughs> you know, it'll just have a, a square with Jupiter, which I think is more likely to uh, make the, the moon a little more um, excited. Uh, you might get a little more of this excited, um, fun-loving, laughter-loving queen that uh, is the moon in Cancer. So I, I uh, very much like Thursday night. You want to have a, a good, a good, pleasant evening, you know, play with your kids, do something nice for yourself, should be quite supported. And then Friday, we get the day of Venus. Now, Friday could get kind of fun and interesting. We do get that uh, Venus in Aquarius in that first second, you know, about a good three degrees away from that sextile with Jupiter by now, but, uh, I, you know, still still within reach. And applying to Jupiter, or rather Mars, uh, by trine. So, you know, there could be um, some sexy magnetic uh, offbeat energy uh, running through the air. Perhaps some uh, stimulating, if not controversial, discussions. Or, um, you know, you feel like uh, uh, inviting someone at the office to your weekly uh, D&D group. You know, you may get a positive response. Your strange off-the-beaten-path corner of the world may 
have an especially uh, magnetic and alluring quality to the world on Friday. So you may be able to uh, lure people into it <laughs> for um, purposes both uh, b- uh, beneficent and nefarious. Um, I would hope the the beneficent. And uh, as we get into Friday night, um, as with all Friday nights, it's the night of Mars, um, which seems appropriate. It's every Friday, you get a, a transition from Venus to Mars. When are we not more... Uh, likely to engage in reckless or controversial behavior in order to blow off steam and uh, find a little bit of excitement than Friday night. While the emphasis does kind of switch over toward the stationary broiling of Mars in Gemini, Friday night, you know, Venus is coming along to maybe lift uh, Mars's spirits. So while I I would advise... uh, approaching any um, scary brooding people lurking in the in the corner of the bar. Um, generally, I like to see Mars and Venus uh, in a nice trine for a Friday, for most uh, conventional Friday purposes, even if uh, the Mars-Venus activities this Friday may not be strictly conventional. Just, you know, stay safe out there, kids. And while, you know, it would be cooler if uh, our full moon was happening on the day or night of the sun or moon, just because uh, the full moon isn't falling, uh, happens to be falling on the day of Venus or night of Mars, um, doesn't preclude any full moon rituals or activities that you have in mind. In fact, you may be able to plan them around uh, the hour of the moon, depending on where you are. But essentially, the the days and hours will make the planets in question more potent and emphasized. But, you know, the other planets are still in the sky um, and and doing their thing. And then Saturday, we've got the day of Saturn, which, you know, as far as Saturn days go, we do still have dignified Saturn. So if you want to get some juice out of Saturn and Aquarius for Saturnian activities, this Saturn day is uh, not so bad for it. It may even be kind of conducive to, you know, just relaxing and not doing much of anything on Saturday if you can, um, or at least, you know, getting the work done that you uh, didn't over the week, catching up on on what wasn't accomplished. Saturn should support you in doing either of those things. Now, uh, Saturday night is potentially kind of interesting. Well, I'm, I'm a little frustrated because where I am, the sun is going to go down just after uh, Mercury sets from the, the Kazemi, though uh, I might be able to catch the tail end of it uh, during the night of Mercury. But depending on where you are, the Mercury Kazemi on the night of Mercury might be an especially potent time to <clears throat> meditate or uh, spend some focused time and attention on tapping in uh, to the insights that that Kazemi has to offer. And then uh, finally, we finish off uh, the week with Sunday, <clears throat> the 8th, uh, as you might expect, um, the Day of the Sun, which does not look especially eventful uh, in regards to what the sun's doing. It's starting to separate from that trine from Uranus, though, you know, might still be relevant, may be able to make productive use of it. Um, however, uh, 
considering that the sun um, is still potentially sort of eating Mercury uh, and wearing its skin around as a costume, Mercury retrogrades tend to be better for more improvisational Mercury activities, which may run a little contrary to the kind of planned and structured activities that uh, Capricorn season tends to support. So, you know, something to bear in mind while you try to work with that that day, depending on what you're trying to do. I think for the most part, Sunday looks a little neutral in terms of, of astro weather, which is kind of nice because, uh, you know, when the winds aren't blowing strongly in any one direction too hard, you know, you may not be able to get going really fast in one direction, but you can also sort of pick and choose what you do to some degree, uh, to a much larger degree, rather, without having to struggle too hard against uh, a lot of con- contrary forces. But then we will um, finish Sunday off with uh, Sunday night, Jupiter night, with Jupiter at about two degrees of Aries, um, getting a little closer to a sextile with Mars, um, being in a little more of a position to support Mars, but also maybe receiving a little more direct transmission from Mars, which could be starting to feel uh, more intense as we're getting to that direct station, uh, which by Sunday will be only a few days away. So, you know, maybe start building your your bomb shelters or uh, say uh, your prayers to Jupiter to protect you if uh, it seems that Mars has their ire set upon you. Um, but, you know, maybe generally just if you're starting to feel um, strong martial energy coming from somewhere that's potentially threatening, uh, Jupiter's in a good position to perhaps raise some wards or barriers against potential martial issues uh, as long as we're not overly caught up in them. But with that, we will call it a week. Um it's probably one of our longer forecasts, but this is an eventful week. But I wish you all a happy new year. And as always, if you would like to book a reading, you can find me at kylepierceastrologer.com. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you lose, you use to listen to us on. Or just give us a, you know, a five-star review. A little, little rating, just click on those stars, you know. It's super easy and super, super helpful. And uh, hopefully this week you can expect to see a, uh, using air quotes, regular episode of Astrology Hotline in which uh, a question is answered at agonizing length. And um, in the meantime, stay safe, have a great week, and I'll see you next time. If you have a question you would like to hear answered on Astrology Hotline, shoot us an email at astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com. Thank you.